franchise. I'm Tyler Demering. I'm Connery Hansen. And with us today again is Cutter White. Hello. Thanks for having me back. Hi, Hi Cutter. Hello. Thanks for coming back for the second episode in a row. Of course. This is all I asked for. <laughs> and we get to hang you in, in the Tyler. What would you call like the hallowed halls if you've been on the episode, been on our series like more than once? Like what what did you call it? You're either a member of the Friendomatic Universe or the Cinematic Friendiverse. I haven't decided on one of the two. So either one of those. Be proud. Oh boy, I uh, I just thought I was getting friend zoned or something. So. Ew, no, I hate that. <laughs> am I am I officially the first member of the Friend Universe, or am I the third member yeah. since you guys are the first two members? Yeah, baby, you're our Iron Man. Oh man. Wait, wasn't Iron Man the first one? <laughs> Yeah, that no, like Captain Man. America, First Avenger. Didn't you read the title? Oh, you're right. As noted in the regional title of the first Captain America movie in 2011. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what it was. Wasn't it called like Captain like World Man, like around the world? Like what no, was it? So no, called it's, Captain it's Captain America, the First Avenger. We're gonna need a number check on that. I just, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like they changed the name and they released it internationally. Really? I didn't know they... I didn't know that. That's interesting. Any who's it, we're in for it. We're in for it. I'm here. This we're is all I today. asked for. I did great on a quiz, <laughs> and it's uh, earned me a spot here. Yeah, you did so great that you got all the answers wrong, but I still... <laughs> as the as the great immortal knight of the Holy Grail, I pitied you, and instead of turning you into a skeleton with uh, mechanical hair that grew out of the back of your head, and then you turned into a shrunky skeleton man... <laughs> I allowed you on to the next round. Let's I, talk about Crystal Skull. I got to ride off yeah. into the sunset with the both of you. For yes, lack of good. finding anyone that likes the Crystal Skull. Oh, boy. I was like, all right, I got to have Cutter on again. Oh, boy. Wait, genuinely, have you asked many other people? Um, I couldn't really think of anybody. Like, And you're just there, you're like, hey, I really like this, and I have like a solid case <laughs> for why this movie's good. I'm like, well, that'll be more interesting than three people being like, yeah, it's okay. Yeah, it's okay. I agree. Yeah, uh, I don't know. It's kind of bad, but like, I don't know. Yeah, the first time I saw this, I think, was in theaters, and that's the last time I saw it in two thousand eight. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure I only saw this one time in theaters, and that was enough. And now I've seen it three times, <laughs> twice in like the past <laughs> few days. Yep. Wow, that's some yeah. big commitment. I I wanted to be fresh for today because like we had to reschedule our. Uh, recording and i want and i was kind of losing it in my head and i was like you know what i gotta watch this again just to have oh, right. it fresh because i i just wanted all the information like in in my brain and not to be like sketchy and fuzzy and me be like oh i guess that happened i don't remember and be like a total dumbass yeah yeah i i see what you're saying about some parts of it but uh i can't wait to really dive into this one it's gonna be fun it's gonna be a fiery debate <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> we'll find out. I feel like I did like Crystal Skull more this time than when I saw it twelve years ago. <laughs> that's that, that's good. Out. I'm I'm glad I'm glad you'll be Tyler will be on the side of will be on the side he likes it. You'll be on the side of okay. And I, I, I I'm still not a big fan of it. Like even after watching it like two consecutive times, <laughs> I'm I, I'm I'm still not a big fan. I'm sorry. Yeah, because I thought you were watching it a second time because you're like, hmm, there's some interesting things here, but. I, nope. I I just wanted it fresh in my brain, and like to be honest, I hoped I would find like more like insightful, like interesting stuff on the second time around. And maybe you guys will be able to bring me around to your corner. Like I certainly hope so. You're able to maybe illuminate me a little bit. That'd be fantastic. Well, guys, 
in the immortal words of Glenn Danzig of the Misfits, I want your skulls. I need your skulls. I want your skulls. I need your skulls. So those crystal if, crystal skulls. If if V was anyone to put it in the right way, it is how I feel about this movie. Is that I? Uh, well, hold on. Oh, okay. Hold on. Hold on. In Holding. the immortal words. In the immortal. In the immortal words. God damn it! Stop. <laughs> in the immortal words of Dan Aykroyd, drink vodka out of this crystal skull. I'm selling it to you. When does he say that? He has a vodka company, and he sells it in oh. Crystal Skulls. Oh, delicious. Wait, mm-hmm. he has a vodka company, not like a tequila company? No, it's, yeah, it's vodka. What yeah, it's Crystal Skulls. Be Okay, I have so many thoughts, I know. but that's fine. Well, it's Dan Aykroyd, I don't know. <laughs> he likes what he likes. Tyler, and he likes the Ghostbusters. Tyler, how we're doing, or are you just going to talk about Dan Aykroyd's vodka business? Uh, I'm going to talk about... Ackroyd and Danzig, the new buddy cop film coming out. How are you guys doing? I'm doing just fine. We're still in quarantine. Last you heard, I was in quarantine. I'm still in quarantine. I'm trying to teach some good friends of mine how to play Catan in the evenings, (laughs) but no one is willing to sit through a full learning session. And uh, some people have (laughs) some people have bedtimes, and it's. (laughs) <laughs> it's a tall it's a tall order but otherwise i uh i'm doing great i've been watching quite a few movies that have been on my list oh dude what'd you hit you can check me out at uh, at cutter white on leatherbox for the first time i watched um the count of monte cristo after having given up on the book of that about five Ooh. times in my life oh, wait which one fun. the it's, 90s one uh yeah or it's actually a 2002 movie Oh, right. Mm-hmm. And the year of Attack of the Clones. Yeah, the year. That's, that's how most people call it. Yeah. Uh, it kind of is overlooked in that year since Gladiator kind of took hold of the whole big epic adventure type thing. Yeah. Uh, I watched that. I watched the first Steven Spielberg theatrical film, The Sugarland Express, which I had never seen. Ooh. It would have been on my mind after watching some behind the scenes stuff where he talks about his experience shooting Sugarland and shooting in cars for the Indiana Jones series. So I was like, wow, I really got to knock that out. Cause I've seen duel and I kind of always think duels the first one, but it was a blast and it's shot by, uh, you know, our, our hero Vilmos and, uh, oh, it was yeah. a beautiful movie. Vilmos Zygmunt. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I was about to ask if that was shot by, uh, Alan, I don't know how to say his last name, but Alan Dave. Devo, Devo. No, um, um, he, he just passed away. But he was oh, Spielberg's cinematographer for like for uh, Amblin, his short film, and then later on ET and uh, Empire of the Sun. Great movie. The first uh, introduction of Christian Bale as a young boy, and it is quite something. But no, it was shot by Vilmos, and is one of the two collaborations they had next you'd see them in close encounters of the third kind so trying oh, to get yeah. trying to knock out my spielberg history uh, i got a kind of wild note on my phone about all the things i need to look of his so yeah i will say this movie definitely made me want to watch uh close encounters again and it made me wish for more uh alien movies directed by spielberg hell yeah <laughs> when it comes down to it like he hasn't done one relatively anything about it like you know there's those encounters et is three years apart and then um 
this movie, <laughs> which is 30 years later. It's like, oh, I wish he would go back to doing those yeah. things. But there's a lot out there to watch right now. And with all the time we got getting through some things. But Connery, what about you? What you been up to? Oh, boy, I have excellent news. I have finally defeated Persona 5, which felt very good. And uh, yeah, so and then today I today I actually watched a whole bunch of different things. Today I watched uh, season two of what we do in the shadows. The first two episodes Ooh, of that are out. So right. I, I, and I really like that series. So I enjoyed watching that. And uh, I started watching Devs after uh, Cutter. I think you recommended it to me a couple times. Yeah, Devs uh, from writer director Alex Garland. It's it's fantastic and just mm-hmm. just wrapped up and it it's amazing. It's absolutely must watch. Uh, I don't even know I could call it TV. It's very like a long form kind of cinema journey. It's interesting. It definitely feels that way. I I mean I'm very into it so far. Like at the first episodes, I was like I was like okay, this is cool. I'm he he kind of does that. Uh, you know I'm you know no no spoilers. I'll stop myself. No, I did it. So yeah, it, it interesting kind of segue to a different character towards uh. The, in the first episode i'm i've just finished the second episode so i guess i'm on the third one and then i stopped and watched a uh, crystal skull again but uh yeah well um, i do apologize for that because you interrupted a five star thing with something else but that's okay i'm sorry <laughs> you mean he interrupted crystal skull with devs exactly no i, w- I wish i could say that but no <laughs> devs is devs is one of the best things this year it's fantastic yeah devs is actually very good tyler i know you've been uh doing a lot of editing and hard work this past week but what have you been up to what have you been watching yeah speaking of doing editing and hard work (laughs) (laughs) segueing back to cutter being mad at me (laughs) why is that because we were playing settlers of Catan last night and cutter was teaching us how to play because i never played and then I was like, oh, I got to go. It's like 11 o'clock. But then also while he was teaching, I was also editing the first episode of this podcast. <laughs> so to timestamp this today is, I don't even know, April 17th, I think. And you the are correct. Is, the first episode is supposed to come out this Sunday, even though we recorded it like a month ago. But that's okay. Things take time. Well, if there was anything to blame for the success of the podcast, I guess it can be me trying to teach you how to have fun. It's okay. Yeah, I mean, that's what I do a lot of the times. I, I do have written down in the show notes where it says, blame Cutter White for our shitty episodes. Great. Great. <laughs> Great. Great. Em- employee number three. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, I've been, like, working, like, I was I switched over to, like, doing other Photoshop work for a different company, but basically what that mm. comes down to is I was listening to a lot of podcasts the past few weeks, but I've just started watching movies again while doing work because the work I'm doing now is easier to, I don't know, like I don't have to focus on it as much, but I'm still doing yeah. Photoshop work. But I don't know, like yesterday I watched two pretty like dry movies that probably aren't that exciting to talk about, but I watched uh, Ang Lee's Ride with the Devil, which I just never got around to watching, but I just had like a DVD of it sitting around. But it's just, yeah. <laughs> it's just one of his movies that like was released and just nobody saw it and made like zero dollars, but... Um, it's like a civil war set movie with like a bunch of southern what's the word the other side of like jayhawkers like jayhawkers are soldiers on the union side that like basically yankees go undercover no they they like go undercover like basically in the south and um raid raid uh towns and stuff but interesting but these are like on the other side of the south but it's like toby mcguire like skeet Ulrich and stuff it was pretty good it was just like pretty long jeffrey wright's really good in it and then i watched uh, gods and monsters with 
uh, Ian McKellen and Brendan Fraser. It's about uh, James <laughs> Whale, who directed Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein, and it's just like mm-hmm. a biopic about him in his later life. And it was it was really interesting, but I'm like still processing it like three days later. Like it's about like the love of making movies, but he's also just like very jaded and like very alone and like traumatized from World War One. So uh-huh. it was just like a lot to process, I guess. So, so it's not at all like Ed Wood. It's not it's not nearly as fun as Ed Wood. It's still <laughs> definitely worth checking out. It's on Hulu right now and Amazon Prime, I think. Again, it's April seventeenth. Pull the strings. Pull the strings. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I definitely, you know, recommend checking out uh, Bill Condon's uh, movie. I think it's the second movie that he's ever made. But it's funny watching him, like, he directed this and then would go on to make Mr. Holmes with oh, Ian McKellen movie. again. It's, it just feels very much like that because it just is very contained to, like, one house for the most part with, like, some extraneous scenes. I like that every once in a while. It's just, like, a character study, per se. It's like I either go, like, super big genre film or character study and one of those two like intertwine i like a lot so nice but yeah cutter i want you to get your feelings out about temple of doom because i told i feel like last crusade we're all pretty like self-contained and we're pressing our our true emotions about things and if we're gonna get into a crystal skull i want you to tell us your emotions and feelings on temple of doom since i think we both like came around on it more since tesla was like yeah it's great I'm like it kind of is yeah, I, I enjoyed it a lot more, especially after Tesla's very passionate um, talk about it. I was like, you know what? She she won me over in the end. And, and I, I did enjoy watching the movie because I haven't. That's probably the Indiana Jones movie I've seen the least, like pretty much everybody, yeah. I'm pretty sure. Right. But she definitely won me over with with her, uh, with her like, like I said, her, she was just very passionate. And I was like, you know what? That, that's good. I, I can respect this movie at least now. Well, Okay. <laughs> Speaking of respect. Yeah. (laughs) Man, I I don't really love any of those, like, kind of ranking things you see online of movies, but we definitely talked about which franchise do you love as a whole. And I think I said Mm -hmm. Indiana Jones because I think a lot of the well-known franchises, I have a lot of misgivings with them. And I guess that's because I entirely blacked out Temple of Doom, which I just... (laughs) cannot stand watching outside of the first 20 minutes of it it really? is just such a trudge through kind of a miserable feeling world there's so much anger towards the characters and like the problems they have and the frustrations indiana jones has with this woman who's just a screaming monster the whole time and like a very I like what Willie by the end of it she's nice she's just a huge lack of character it's absolutely such a crime and especially coming off of Marion in Raiders you just really feel how weakly written she is and uh, I know that some of it is that she's a starlet and she's escaping from this place that she doesn't know better of but Boy, it just doesn't work for me. I had rewatched it when we were getting ready to talk about Last Crusade and this, and I just found it quite miserable. Uh, very, <laughs> very offensive to a lot of different cultures and faiths. Yes, and definitely. Mm-hmm. And a surprising lack of swashbuckle and a lack of these things that I really enjoy in Indiana Jones. It's not to say it doesn't have these great set pieces. Like there's no arguing that like the mine car 
and some of the sets inside the underground temples are absolutely amazing but i just think the story around them and the villainy they place on these people that they know very little about and you don't hear indiana jones talk about any research or knowledge he has of it like you do in the other films i just think it's a mess it's definitely like a very strange departure from raiders like immediately and I kind of compared it to Last Jedi in some ways, and that it's just like a big departure from, say, Force Awakens. And I'm not saying Temple of Doom's on the quality or on par with Last Jedi, but I'm just like, wow, it's just like total. Like it's weird how it's the same filmmakers, but it just swings in such a different direction. And they're like, let's swing back to Last Crusade. And mm-hmm. what you're saying about Kate Capshaw's character, uh, Willie, I definitely felt like that for like until watching it this time, where it's just like, oh, she's just like kind of annoying and stuff, and. She's just like screaming the whole time, but she this made time me around, laugh the most out of anybody. Yeah. Like she got like a bunch of laughs out of me. Like I'd watch this movie and I, I don't mm. like laugh. She had like a lot of bits where I was like, "This is she's she's funny. Like she's just funny throughout this. She's not is she a romantic lead for Indy? Like no, but right. is she like funny and weird in it? Yes. It's like oh, obviously she he's like not gonna end up with her, but she's like just the, the person that's on this adventure and. Speaking of her, like, not being, like, that well-written, like, I, f- I feel like she's more well-written than, um, I don't even, I don't remember her name in, uh, in Last Crusade. Oh, 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 no, it's, uh, Elsa! It's El- Elsa, Elsa, Elsa. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She wants to build a snowman. Yes. Sean Connery and Harrison Ford are father and son, and they both slept with the same woman, and it's Elsa, and, like, she doesn't have too much character going on, and I also mentioned before in Last Crusade that's, like, oh, she does some things that are, like, kind of Marion-esque in the beginning when they're on the boat chase. And it mm-hmm. just doesn't work the same way yeah. for me. No, she's... I think after our conversation last week, Last Crusade definitely reveals some of these tropes of, you know, a movie where the Nazis are the villain, a movie where a blonde woman turns on them. Like, it's this very, like, even if you want to go back to, like, the femme fatale kind of thing, it is very tropey. And I do give them some credit for wanting to escape nazis as a villain to have something original in temple of doom good thing they succeed with having a different villain in last (laughs) crusade by not focusing so much on the nazis when it becomes more about their relationship Mm -hmm. yeah it's like all the like what is semiotics the right term of temple of doom are like really bad it's like oh instead of nazis we'll do uh evil indian people it's like hey that's not cool at all (laughs) i mean i remember it as a kid that even on just like this very low level it's very like creature feature there's a lot of bugs and weird food and the humor is a little like off-putting and you know i think i guess now as an adult i i look at it you see it comes right against like poltergeist and some of these things from spielberg and maybe some like you know, I've read some of the stuff about their lives at the time, but I still don't think that any of those things should be an asterisk next to it just not being a really great movie. And people want to say like, oh, it's a, it was a great trilogy until Crystal Skull came up. I just right. I just cannot even get on that level with it at all. Oh, no, I, I, I disagree. I don't think it's a great trilogy until crystal skull i feel very strongly that still like i now that i do i still respect temple of doom now but i still feel like it's weaker than raiders and last crusade and crystal skull kind of for me is now kind of on that bar of temple of doom still but 
I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, Cutter. I see that sadness in your face. <laughs> <laughs> For me, uh, Temple of Doom is, it's not really lesser than the other two. It's just that it's completely different. And it's like, if that was like the sixth Indiana Jones adventure, I think people would feel differently about it. But it's, unfortunately, there's only three in the original trilogy. And it's like, okay, that's what we got. Like Temple of Doom, that's like a really weird movie. But I like how weird it is. And it's just not very Indiana Jonesy at a lot of points in it. But yeah, if it was definitely like the sixth movie, it would, people would feel differently. And it's like, yeah, I totally get both sides of it. Without belaboring it, it is absolutely amazing how much of Raiders of the Lost Ark really moves through a character that you know nothing about aside from tropes of a genre and a rebirth of a genre that just happens. It feels so overnight and I can't even imagine the kind of thing without Indiana Jones. What I would give to go to the time of these movies coming out to see how people reacted because uh, I feel like we've come a long way. Mm -hmm. It's like the same thing with Star Wars and uh, I don't know, maybe Jaws for the first one and just all these different movies where you're like, what was it like these people seeing this stuff for like the first time ever? And and like us com us being in the world and just having like access to like three or four or six or seven of these movies and being like they they're they're a franchise they've always existed but what's it like to experience like something as culturally powerful as like indiana jones and star wars for like the first time ever in it's like distilled form well yeah. i cannot wait to <laughs> listen to the temple of doom podcast and listen to your <laughs> other friend and you just shake your head love this yeah you just angrily shouted us going no, no no well i will save it until i'm back to work and sitting in traffic and i will <laughs> rage drive all over the 405 it'll be <laughs> absolutely tremendous tyler let's let's actually talk about the crystal skull and no we're gonna talk about hunger games again Oh, cool. Okay. Cutter, before we started this podcast today, you mentioned that you wanted to talk about like the genre references. That uh, man, I wish I could say genre like Alex Trebek can. I don't. I don't know how he does it. Genre. genre. Yeah. Genre. But um, genre. You're talking about like the genre trappings or like the um, influences on this movie compared to the original trilogy. Like the original trilogy is very influenced by 30s adventure serials, and this one's more 50s sci-fi, which you know fits mm. the decade in which the movie set you want to talk about that a little bit yeah um it came up in my mind one the tonality of this film being so different and the other bit is that this movie had the working title of genre to keep it hidden and spielberg chose genre because he understood that it was a shift i grew up with those movies like i i did not grow up with serials i didn't see them I didn't see this adventure movie until Indiana Jones, but I saw these kind of 50s sci-fi kind of takes on the world at large and the American public being scared. And it could be something as extraterrestrial as the thing from outer space, War of the Worlds. And it could be as something as trivial and kind of kiddie college movie as like The Blob. Or it could be the body snatchers or anything from outer space that's really there just to represent that 50s red scare, that eye in the sky, who's out there to get us. In combination with just radioactive, yeah, the nuclear the atomic family. era. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, I think it, it's just this totally different place. And it's something that, you know, I grew up with. And for whatever reason, like I'd seen those movies and I knew it. And I kind of get this like different love of a different kind of culture 
and I think it comes from like a different place as these guys uh, revisit. But I mean, what was the gap between Crusade and Crystal Skull? Like twenty years. Nineteen years. Nineteen years. Wow. Okay, so yeah, you know, so they really did it in real time of that thirties to fifties yeah, jump cool. for Harrison Ford mm-hmm. and. We can spoil things right away, right? Like, you don't know that... Okay, like, we know that Mutt's his kid, and that's, like, not revealed. Wow. Yeah. Hey, I'm... (laughs) I, like, was talking to this about someone I thought I thought Mutt's dad was a giant switchblade knife. Oh, man. (laughs) Well, okay, let me me crack open a beer while we're off audio. Okay, and... No, we're still on audio. We kept it all in. I just realized that... I just realized that... Tyler denied me the chance to play my Crystal Skull audio clip that I worked really hard on. Oh, all right. Oh, let's, right, let's start over. Welcome clip. to the franchise. Let's start this over is Tyler Dennering. <laughs> I'm Connery Hanson. <laughs> uh, insert audio clip here. One second, one second, one second. Oh, my God. You're not even ready. theme from the road to el dorado <laughs> starring kelsey Grammer and kevin klein yes <laughs> that's the only part you can hear but you'll, everyone will hear the i guess you'll hear the full thing on the actual show but the, well, the point is i'm proud of this one <laughs> gold translates to treasure in their language and the real treasure <laughs> is knowledge knowledge Flat. is the treasure stupid so you guys don't want to <laughs> talk her. about your fifties influences? Okay. No, let's cut that. No, I do. I just um, wanted to throw. I, a, I wanted to throw a big tissy fit. I totally agree with what you're saying, Cutter. Um, and I love how campy and cartoony the whole trilogy is before this, and that's like probably my favorite thing about Indiana Jones, other than like how visually iconic Raiders of the Lost Ark is, especially, and how visually fun uh, Temple of Doom is in a spooky way. That's all the crazy lighting and everything, um, but. Uh, I really like that Crystal Skull is like set in the '50s and has all the tropes of the '50s, just like the uh, the original trilogy has all the tropes of the original the '30s. But unfortunately, with how cartoony and campy it is, which I do like a lot, it doesn't fit very well at all with like a modern lighting sensibility, along with like modern green screen technology. Like, there's so many scenes that just like make it seem so ropey compared to the originals for me and watching this entire movie and watching it again i i always feel like the atomic era and even especially indiana jones i always feel like it's the death of adventure for some strange reason like especially there's that scene where he's staring at the nuclear like mushroom cloud when that goes off i'm just like what's what what's left to do like you're you're so small and like pathetic in the face of this like absolute atomizing destruction of everything and i i don't know i always feel very defeatist in the atomic era especially when i'm shown the red scare and the atomic bomb a lot of it for me feels like the death of innocence and adventure in general nothing's the same anymore and things are 
darker and everyone and our heroes are old and I, I don't know like it just makes me feel a little sad is all is what i'm gonna say <laughs> yeah it's like our heroes are old but they don't really recognize that at all in the movie uh, as mm-hmm. much as it's like oh yeah they're older but it's really just focuses more on the adventure rather than any kind of character growth yeah i was like there's like a weird uh what's that rocky movie where it just focuses on sylvester stallone being sad the entire rocky time balboa there's like a Rocky Balboa-esque movie in there where Indiana Jones is sad and can't do anything anymore and is like accused by the U.S. government for being like a communist and a traitor to his company and, or to a traitor to his country and being like blacklisted or something. Well, you know, Rocky Balboa around Rocky V was treated the U.S. government at the IRS as his main enemy. So... <laughs> huh? <laughs> Dude, I haven't seen those yet. Okay, I'm not going to diverge <laughs> so hard, but like Rocky, about that. Rocky Five yeah. is totally like he owes money to the IRS and re- pulls himself out of retirement so that he can pay his taxes. It is absolutely absurd. So you could say he's not getting his stimulus check. Yeah, no, no yeah. stimulus check for Rocky. Um, Well, I think it's interesting because this film, it wants so hard to be of those movies of the body snatchers of the blob of the thing and it you know it will get there in the back half of the movie where it really gets into the other cultures and it gets into the into the aliens but I hear what you're saying Connery it's hard when the general public views World War II as like the last time that we had a noble war and we had mm-hmm. a common enemy and anything after that we could change our status to uh, it's complicated because there's so much that gets brought into it from our society. Yeah, I think if we made a movie today that was just like a young scrappy dude going on an adventure to find aliens, sure. But the fact that his enemy from the minute he gets yanked out of the back of a car <laughs> is that, you know, hey, look, Russians are bad. I just don't really know how to like penetrate this movie because it just does a lot of things that it's already done in the franchise. It just tries to recapture a lot of things, but in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. you can't go home twice. Like it's like, oh, instead of the Nazis, it's the Russians. And it's because Spielberg didn't want to have Nazis as a cartoony villain again after making serious movies about Nazis. I'm like, okay, I get that. But then you also just did it to the Russians. It's like they're obviously not the same thing. It just feels like a lot of reasoning behind the movie is to just like make it work. To like put it together. To me, it feels like it. it there, when when you said it, if they're retreading a lot of ground, it, it kind of jump started this in my head where they are trying to almost again jump start the Indiana Jones franchise again with this new thing, and then I'm I'm like eighty percent sure that after this movie, they'd make if it was successful, they would have made another one, have Shia LaBeouf and uh, Harrison Ford in it again. And in that one, he'd pass the hat over to Shia LaBeouf officially. And then the third movie would be Shia LaBeouf actually as Indiana Jones soloing it. But it just didn't happen. And so it, to me, it even feels like oddly incomplete in its like existence. Yeah, definitely. It's like, why would they make one movie that much later on? Uh, mm-hmm. But I don't know. I feel like we're in a rut talking around the movie and we should just like talk about the movie. Yeah, let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. Let me tell you that <laughs> Crystal Skull is a far better movie than the general public gives it credit for this yeah, movie I agree. is mm-hmm. a, an absolute blast okay you can get into the semantics of why this scene doesn't work particularly everyone wants to focus on shia swinging with the monkeys and all these things <laughs> but we're talking about a series 
that literally like Indiana Jones from afar saw a man's heart get ripped out, turned to fire, and then the man is still alive and he continues <laughs> on with his way. And yeah, my whole magic exists in this world. This movie just is so much fun to me. I just have such a fun time meeting Mutt and seeing him kind of like figure out his purpose in the world. I love Marion coming back. Yeah, I love the ideas of those things. But Marion doesn't do anything in this movie. She's just there and is like, ah, hey, we're all together again. And like Mutt doesn't do too much either. But like the scenes where you're saying like that don't really work for the general audience. I think it doesn't work in some ways because of things they can't articulate in a way in that like, yeah, the monkeys are obviously CG. They decided to sit, shoot that jungle scene like in the middle of the day for some reason, I guess to have the time elapse for by the time they get to the, the temple for it to be like nearly sunset, you know? But other than that, I can't like articulate why they decided to shoot it at that time. Well, it just makes it like the CG look even like it's like look, Jurassic World. I think this, know? I think the, the only thing I've heard you talk about, Tyler, is you talk about how you don't like the cinematography, you don't like the plotting, and you don't like the way it was laid out. And I think those things are kind of tangentially, like talking about the craft of it, while you're talking about a film that is just trying to have a, like, it's trying to have a ball. From the get-go, this movie, it opens up with the classic Paramount match cut shot. And what do you get? You get a fucking gopher hill. You get a gopher popping out. I thought it was an ant hill. It's a gopher <laughs> hill. You watched the movie twice in the last 48 hours. It's definitely. I know, gopher. right? <laughs> it's a CG gopher. <laughs> it is definitely a CG gopher. Potentially it's an ant hill that was CGI'd into a gopher hill. But the thing is, is this movie from the get go is ready to just be like, look, you think you're getting this. This is what we got. This is what we wanted to do. We're a bunch of middle-aged dudes that have already hit way past our prime. And we got to make another Indiana Jones movie. And it's just a good time. Like, I don't get the hate for it. I think we could have another conversation about the cinematography, which I think is extremely technical. And I think a huge problem of this era of filmmaking, the early 2000s, and that kind of middle ground of the filmic look versus the post-production digital backlot. But yeah, I mentioned it in the Hunger Games series, at least, where Kind of like 2000, like really 2008 to 2013. It's a really strange time in terms of like digital to film cinematography because that's when everything was transitioning like right in the middle ground. And like, yeah, I guess this, it does get too technical, but yeah. And I I'll mean, quietly sit here. Well, I just think that there there is some hangups of this movie. And I think that for better or worse, the geek culture has hung up its heels on everything about George Lucas and the prequel trilogy and the red leather yeah. trailer reviews and all that. And they coming were back around now though, because they found something new to hate on, which is the new star Wars movies that aren't George mm -hmm. Lucas. So like, it's... Oh, maybe George Lucas is kind of good. It's true. <laughs> and I think somewhere in that, like people just lost sight that, you know, you have a filmmaker that sure he has made serious movies about Nazis and now he doesn't want to do Nazis. Okay. He right after this Spielberg, directed a very serious movie about Palestinian terrorism against the Israelites in Munich. But, you know, he gets this little shot at like having some fun again and stepping back into that old shoe. And, you know, for every time that it maybe drops a ball with some of the plotting or, or that Jeep chase through the jungle that lasts for so <laughs> fucking long, I <laughs> am totally fine with it. 
because it has all this new, great new music and it has great new characters of Mutt and it's just a fun time and I uh, I'm just really happy that I actually revisited it with like real positive eyes. So I can say for a hundred percent certain that I do not hate this movie with a burning passion. I definitely wouldn't be like, I agree it's trash and belongs in a garbage can. I would not say that about Crystal Skull at all. I would I, is it my favorite? Certainly not, but especially after seeing it, I don't really understand the the venom for that cult, current culture has for this movie. I, I think it's a a bit maybe a bit much. <laughs> yeah, it's all like the expectation of a big franchise coming back after twenty years. It's like it's like if Force Awakens was just kind of meh, um, mm-hmm. but it ended up being better than a lot of people expected. This is going on like too much of a tangent, but basically I just always remember something that Edgar Wright, he may have just tweeted it, but it's good to watch bad movies because you can still pick and choose scenes from a bad movie. Like some bad movies might still have really great scenes that you can incorporate into your own. Maybe that applies more to filmmakers. It's like, oh yeah, this scene's great and it can inspire you, but sometimes it's still fun to just like watch like whatever movies like, oh, this scene's kind of inspired, but without getting too yeah, I, with it. I, I can probably think of a few movies or, or movies that are like bad, but then like there are a few scenes and I'm like, that's actually really, really cool. And it, it inspires other ideas and thought or thoughts or I think even bad movies, you're right, Tyler, they can help creatively. Yeah. And I mean, this movie's not bad. Like, like you said, kind of like, it's definitely a lot better than mo- like everybody gives it credit for. And by the end of it, just like, like I said before, I've just really wanted like another alien movie by Spielberg. I love the feeling of smallness you know, at the end where all the aliens like come together, basically all the skulls come together. I know we're starting at the end and working backwards, yeah, but sure. like they all come together into one body. <laughs> it's just like a fun little motif that the Cape Blanchett's character, who's like a communist uh, commissar or whatever, she's like, yeah. oh, the, the whole is better than the one, like all of them together. I'm like, oh, that is a very communist thing to say because that's her whole mm-hmm. ideology. That's why she worships the aliens so much in a way other than all the mm-hmm. knowledge. Mm-hmm. But a um, hive mind. It, I just really like movies that make us as humans feel small and that there's something bigger than us. Absolutely. While still being like really pulpy. <laughs> it has a good combo of that. And Kate Blanchett does such a good job of being this very big caricature, larger than life kind of villain, but letting her guard down in these moments where you really see her as a character, like want this thing. She wants to connect with the clairvoyant side of the, her persona that she's had and you know a lot even if it's not touched upon very much in the movie yeah i was gonna say do you mind if i interject there sure. because she 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 calls herself a telepath we even hear the u.s government call her a telepath but the one time she tries to be a telepath she fails and then i never see her be a telepath ever again oh yeah like i don't know no, I, no. I would have liked some kind of examples of her telepathy working would be kind of interesting and probably would have been really cool if she like read Mutt's mind or Marion's mind or just anybody else to like give her an edge would have been really tight, but it it makes me like is she lying? Is she just full of shit? Is she not a telepath? Some of it to me is that she is a person that has been revered and is feared much more by the government than she ever is. I think she does have some ability or has some success in the past, but she's kind of like faking it till she makes it. But like so she's more like a more like a fortune teller. She she's good at guessing people's like emotions and thought process more so than actually being like 
having these like psychic powers maybe as the movie's trying to portray i think at the end i think it is a great villain because you do see her i mean she gets confronted by these aliens and she is Mm. someone that can say these things about communism and that the whole is stronger than the one and all that kind of thing but in the end she still wants to be a greedy human and she wants the aliens to teach her something greater than what she can learn on earth and teach her an ability that she thinks she can control and it's i think it goes really interesting places it does but you have to you have to stretch your minds to like really go where they're going i want to kind of poke your guys's brains as to why the alien kills her or like just blows up her brain uh, i mean like it harrison ford translates from what's the name john hurt that it wants to give them a gift and when she asks for basically knowledge in my opinion one of like the better things to probably ask for it it basically overloads her brain and then angrily looks at her and sends her into the cosmos i guess but that just confused me like it it, it wanted to give her and them a gift but then it just seemed like it wa- it ended up killing all of, or trying to kill all of them I think the very like basic interpretation of it is that she asked for something that she couldn't handle. And I think she's asking for knowledge that she's incapable of understanding. And I think that's some, there's some little droplets of this in the movie about humans mm-hmm. being like much lower than these alien thoughts and it's like a bit Lovecraftian with that like higher knowledge and we are not meant to know what is like beyond ourselves and we are tiny specks compared to these like outer beings. Absolutely. And and you saying that and pointing that out surprises me that you're not all for the kind of atomic era energy and watching atomic bombs go off and you know it, it feels very foreboding to me and that's what I feel like. I, I feel very defeated and that's I feel like with a lot of the Lovecraftian mythos is this like hardcore defeatism i i read this uh manga adaptation of uh mountains of madness and it, i i'd never read really the book before i just kind of had tidbits of it reading through that it's just it, it's so like it's so bleak it's it's so upsetting like you you get that these like we are so small and there's like so much more out there and they do not even consider us as like a, a second third glance i get what you mean in terms of like the nuclear stuff in the beginning and how it's like bleak but now that you say that cutter it, it makes more sense in terms of why it's in the movie in the first place mm-hmm. as a as a set piece because it is too much knowledge for humans like nuclear bombs is too much knowledge yeah, for humans it's exactly. too dangerous and that plays into yeah, like the knowledge of you can just infer because she's the antagonist so therefore she wants knowledge to make like soviet russia <laughs> superior and have like powerful weapons and stuff like alien weapons like you can just infer because she's the villain i guess even though it's not really communicated that well in the movie it's not like a king solomon situation where she's like just wishing for knowledge for knowledge's sake she obviously has ulterior motives and the alien sees that i guess yeah or she should have just had a line that's like oh give me knowledge so i can like have the power to i don't know destroy my enemies or something yeah i feel like that's what the intention was but it just isn't like extremely clear but it it does at least give a reason why the nuclear explosion in the beginning is in the movie. <laughs> well, Aside from having a fun nuke in the fridge uh, scene, which unfortunately <laughs> became a whole like term. Well, but I like, yeah, I, and we can I like swing that stuff far to that. Much like Mutt swings along the vines with the monkeys. Oh, yeah. Swing on over through the jungle back to the desert where we see the U.S. as the villain. And they point out that the U.S. is testing and the U.S. wants to have this power as well 
and they stick Indiana mm. Jones in this plight of having to, you know, keep trudging along through his life. Unfortunately, the whole world wants to focus on the fact that he gets into this treasure chest and sur- earth treasure chest, excuse me, uh, I'm, on another, <laughs> fridge. I'm on another adventure. He gets into this fridge that they painstakingly show this insert <laughs> describing it as lead line. So they <laughs> yeah. describe but it doesn't seal like he'd be he'd be annihilated like even in that explosion and the impact like his his little body would shatter right. yeah but at the same time i think that's the exact problem with like modern both modern filmmaking and modern audiences and the modern mm-hmm. filmmaking isn't this movie because it has these old filmmaking sensibilities it's like yeah my whole problem that i've been talking about in the original trilogy is that like so many modern action slash adventure movies have to be grounded in reality like my girlfriend lily was watching infinity war today and just like, mm-hmm. man, yeah, like, even the Marvel movies, like, they're superhero movies, but they still have to, like, be grounded in reality for people to, like, get into them. Like, it's just like, man, Infinity War is so, like, dour and, like, serious for a movie about a bunch of superheroes. And I, it's just like digging apart these things like that. It's like, it's, I don't think it's really worth it because that's what, Indi- it's very Indiana Jones in the first place. Where it's yeah, just like, like, oh, I, it's just I have, like this I have dumb less thing. of a problem with the fridge than I initially did. It's just, it's just something to point to, to be like the, uh, the absolute pulp fiction, like not pulp fiction, I guess, but like pulp absurdity of it, where it's like, he will hide in the lead iron fridge. Yeah, I love he it. Will fly <laughs> 60 feet up in the air, crash hard on the ground. And he will pop out and be like, whoo. Well, that was certainly something. Look, yeah, it's like this quest for logic that I don't think the Indiana Jones movies have in the first place. It doesn't have it. It's just like, hey, have fun. In the very original movie, in the opening scene of Raiders of the Lost Ark, Indiana Jones steps into a temple that we are believed to be hundreds and hundreds of years old with no information about the man. And he sets off a trap that is him passing through a ray of the sun (laughs) <laughs> that triggers something in the building and we're to believe that that causes something that makes him do or do not die and let we're like totally hung up about this fridge thing and i think some of it comes from a little bit of what you're talking about tyler it's that very like this is surreal this is that filmmaking where everything looks perfect and polished and digital and we can't get into it. Maybe if it was more classically filmic or looked that way, you would be able to let your guard down. Right. I harped on that too much, but it's just like it definitely doesn't help the cause of. Like, oh, absolutely. No, do it doesn't really help it. No, it does. It does not help it. Even how cartoony like the original trilogy is, I, I don't think uh, people really recognize that as what they like so much about Indiana Jones, even though that's a big element of it how campy and, and cartoony a lot of things are down to the sound effects and everything that's all the things that like make it a larger than life character are all the filmic effects as well as the performance um i i wanted to kind of speaking of like i guess cartoon logic and i guess going forward in indie's life in general um i wanted to touch on our two new characters which are the the dean slughorn i i don't really remember what his name is in this but we have the new character of, of the dean who's slughorn in harry potter and then we have uh mac who is andy's like longtime best friend who apparently like fought the commies with him for a long time yeah, ray winstone yeah i don't know about you guys but i i was so detached from them there are two, two parts in particular where i'm just like i don't i don't know these guys and i don't really 
care and I don't know and understand their history with Indiana Jones because I've never seen it almost. Where like the dean comes over to Indy's house and Indy gives him a glass of wine. They chat like they're old friends, and I'm a little bit like, I I've never seen the dean of the college before. Like I I've never seen him interact with like three movies. I've never seen well, him talk, and he's he, like he's a substitute for like Brody or not. Is that that's the name right? Right. The name yeah. No, well, yeah. The, the problem is, is that the they're trying to tap into him being a character you already are familiar with, but being new. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, the original actor had of the other three had passed away in that time. I understand the point that he's he's trying to be a surrogate Brody. Like if that if he was still alive, Brody would be in that scene and not a Slughorn Man. And Jim Broadbent. Yeah. And it just that whole thing puts me off a little bit where I'm like, I don't really know this person it's a little weird to see like them being like super chummy and then mac even when he's introduced in like the first part of the movie i'm like who the hell is this dude it's so weird to me and it just reflects further that indiana jones doesn't know how to choose his friends because his friend's a traitor every single time well you know if i had the if i had one ginormous film breaking criticism of this movie it's the character of mac you know, shout out to Ray Winstone, like huge fan <laughs> of him as an actor. Yeah. You know, he in one of my favorite movies of his is Sexy Beast. Like the dude's a legend in this movie. That character, you know, the most convenient quadruple, triple agent thing that ever has happened in any movie I can think of. The fact that he, in a line he throws away and in a reply, I think Indy asks him, so you're a triple agent? And he goes, no, I was just lying about being a double agent. And then they move on. It is mm-hmm. absolutely dreck. And the character is such a sham of like this kind of British top of the top of his class type person that you're like you said, Connor, he's you're told to, you know, just respect this brilliant man that Indy's been through the trudges with. And I like some of that, like, well, we don't know what's happened in 20 years, mm-hmm. but boy, does that guy just flip whenever they need him to it's so bad the one justification i had for him like especially rewatching it the second time indiana jones mentions like the legend of like the gilded man i think it's like that conquistador they're looking through like oh his like lust for gold was insatiable and legendary and then we see mac digging through gold just finding any kind of treasure he possibly can and, and double crossing his friends in order to get money and treasure i'm like maybe mac is supposed to be like a, the surrogate like modern day form of this of this like conquistador dude who's just willing to do anything for like money and forsaking all other things and people around him for it but i might just be reading too far into it and trying to justify mac as a character yeah i mean it's like down to his death where he's just like trying to gather up some treasure and then Mm -hmm. he's like trying to help him he's like oh just leave me i'll be fine and he gets sucked into like a wormhole like like a vortex where it's like you know it's like yeah, so I, I think maybe I'm maybe even then I'm giving Mac too much credit and maybe even the script too much credit for being like, oh, he's obviously a metaphor for this and he can represent that aspect of humanity, which I guess technically he does. He's his greed kills him and his greed drives him throughout the movie, but Yeah, I mean this is definitely like a movie that went through so many different drafts of the screenplay from so many different writers. Uh, mm-hmm. including like M. Night Shyamalan. Like there's just like a rogues gallery of, of screenwriters on this. Uh, down to like the finished draft was by David Kep, and he's, I don't know, he's written some good movies, written some like whatever movies. He's directed like like he directed Secret Window, but he wrote Jurassic mm-hmm. Park. 
I, I am curious, what are you guys' thoughts on, we talked about him very briefly, but Shia LaBeouf's portrayal of Mutt uh, something or other. In Temple of Doom, we talked about Short Round maybe inheriting Indiana Jones' hat and the whole cre- whole deal of being an adventurer and us following him in a movie. And by the end of this movie, it's implied that he would be the new Indiana Jones. I kind of want to get perspective from like you, Cutter, especially... What are your thoughts about Mutt and what he represents to the franchise and going forward in like an Indiana Jones saga of it being like Mutt Jones, I guess? Uh, do you guys want to go first? Because I'm just like so pro Shia. So I don't think I really had a problem with him. Um, it's more so that he was obviously after this movie not wanting to be in these huge budget movies anymore. And mm-hmm. Um, the whole world was basically building him up to be the next big thing and he didn't want to be. And I think that's totally valid. <laughs> yeah, um, absolutely. So he, do I don't you, know if, like, do you bring that outside knowledge having come off this huge year of Shia and, you know, autobiographical films of his life? Or do you feel that while watching Mutt in 2008's King, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull? Uh, yeah, that's a good point. Um, because in Crystal Skull, I feel like he is good. He's definitely doing, like, the best version of many roles he's done before in terms of being, like, a sidekick kind of character. Like, uh, I know in Constantine, like, he is, his roles cut down a lot, except in the director's cut, I think he shows up in it more. But just in a lot of, like, bigger budget movies, he would, unless it was, like, Holes or, like, these Disney movies, because he's, you know, even Stevens. Um, oh, Disturbia? Yeah. And then Disturbia Spielberg produced, I believe, or cast him in that. Like he, he like basically put him in that movie. Like Spielberg even said in the behind the scenes for for Crystal Skull, he's like, yeah. Ever since I saw Holes with my kids, like way back when, I really want, like I thought Shia was like the next big thing, and he helped him get into Transformers too. Like he told like mm-hmm. Michael Bay, like this is the guy. I don't know. He has the sensibilities to be able to be like a blockbuster character but even in this he's still like a supporting character he there's never really a turn in this movie where he becomes the lead to show that he's going to be the next indiana jones like it even goes to show at the end of this movie that like the hat falls at his feet and he goes to pick it up and then indy just takes it from him i'm like oh okay like it sends mixed messages basically about to me it means like you're on your way kid but you're not ready yet you need one more movie almost basically to sum it up i think he's he's good in this movie like i like him (laughs) He doesn't like blow me away, but at the same time, he's one of the better parts of the movie. So I don't know if that answers your question, Gutter. But well, okay, Connery, do you like Mutt in this? Mutt in this movie, I mean, Shia LaBeouf, he's a good he, modern day today. Yes, he he is a good actor. Even even now, he he does good with what even in sorry in Crystal Skull, he does good with what he's given. Obviously, but I I don't really. As terms of, like carrying the franchise forward and him like being like the guy who would inherit the hat and be the next Indiana Jones, I'm very much like I I didn't see it ever. I I would have him around as a as a side character as maybe like a supporting person going forward maybe in the franchise, but I would never really make him be the leading man. I feel like in in an, in an Indiana Jones movie, Harrison Ford is such a big void to phil if he like left the if he left and then like shia labeouf was given like he is like the new indiana jones the new movie like it, it's his movie i don't think i'd be that into it and mutt as a character in this movie is he's not gonna be an archaeologist he's not gonna be a big adventurer he's gonna work on bikes and probably like get into tussles like i don't see him as 
a big time adventurer. There's no kind of growth in the end of him being like, yeah, I'll go back to school. Like, yeah, I want to get an education. I want to go on more adventures. It's yeah. literally just. But all of that just... is the screenplay and not him. He's just doing what he can with the screenplay. And exactly. Now you're saying, I forget what you said, but it made me think like, <laughs> okay, here's like the most like blockbuster lead actor, like modern version of that right now is probably like Chris Pratt. Mm-hmm. I, I guess especially at least like two years ago or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's there's not a lot of like modern like huge male stars in that same sense. It's like okay, Chris Pratt on one side, Joaquin Phoenix on the other side. The only way Joaquin Phoenix mm-hmm. is ever going to be in a superhero movie is if it's like to his sensibilities. Like he's never going to be in like a Marvel Cinematic Universe movie. Like he was yeah. offered to be Doctor Strange, and I feel like Shia mm-hmm. LaBeouf is more on the Joaquin side, especially nowadays. But like, I agree. If he was. Like in a new Indiana Jones movie, as like Mutt Jones or whatever he's gonna go as Henry like Jones Junior. the third. Yeah, it's like <laughs> if you think about it, like yeah, Chris Pratt would like be a way better Indiana Jones if you think about it as like a blockbuster, like what the, what you perceive to be a good like yeah, runner sure. up to Indiana Jones. But to mm-hmm. me, I would much rather see Shia LaBeouf as Indiana Jones because he has this like quietness, and I guess even in this movie, like he's not like super cantankerous or anything or like trying to steal any scene but he's there and he's mm-hmm. just like doing a good job and he like seems thoughtful even you know he's like a greaser guy like just wants to fix just... bikes he has more to him he has like a certain well, mysteriousness that like chris pat would just be like yeah let's get on this blue velociraptor and and, shoot I, up and some I, I don't want i don't want chris pratt to be indiana jones like i and, and that's like too much for me i don't want it's just like harrison ford is so singular and like I, like solo in the in that role a solo pun i guess but he, he, like he he's that person he's that he's that entity of and that creation and it's just shia labeouf i feel like is too quiet i i don't know like i just don't see mutt moving forward as a lead in the franchise at all like i i, I see him as a side character certainly i see him as like a support character throughout maybe the new like a quote-unquote new series of Indiana Jones movies as, like, a new adventure takes the helm, maybe even outside the Jones family, but that character as portrayed in Crystal Skull that I see, I don't see him taking the mantle, is, is all I'm saying. Well, look, so. guys, th- this movie, from beginning to end, shows very little interest in passing that baton. Yeah, I was what about it, to say. What it does a ton a ton is it totally jumps on your like opinions as an audience member it totally is waiting for you to want him want the next indiana jones want you to pick up the hat maybe you'll be the guy that helps out and instead they present this wonderful character where they are showing a kid that's lost and i don't bring up movies about the blob just because you know there there's aliens or muckery atop you know that was a movie about kids that got an identity that they were given based off of watching tv you know he's the most like fonzie happy day greaser dirtbag typical thing but he doesn't really he doesn't really reflect that in his actions at all like he's he's quite caring towards his mother he's caring when he realizes his dad he has confusion and shock and even it's humorous but he does act this way. And I think coming off of a movie like Last Crusade that we talked about that lays on so heavy with this father-son relationship, you have this expectation mm-hmm. of, well, look, if there's Henry Jones the third, 
why would you do this? And, you know, from one of his key lines, Mutt says is, wait, what's wrong with the name? I picked the name, you know? Yeah. He is this person that gets to kind of chase a mantle he's never going to be given. He's going to Mm -hmm. have to go on the adventure because this is part of his life, even though he doesn't need these kind of things. And I think, I think what it's part of his like presupposed social contract, much like Shia LaBeouf. And <laughs> coincidentally, this is the movie that kind of broke him. And he said, hey, fuck Crystal Skull. I'm going to go on and do all this like artsy stuff. And then Spielberg got mad at him and Harrison Ford got mad at him. So <laughs> is 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 Mutt like himself just mirroring uh, Shia LaBeouf or is that too convenient? I think you're conflating the issue and also mixing up some of the timeline. He literally did Crystal Skull two weeks after coming off of the rap party of the original Transformers. After this, he does wow. two other Transformers movie. Yeah. He does the Wolf of Wall Street. Uh, it's not Wolf of Wall Street. Wall Street, Gordon Gecko sequel no one ever wanted. He does. Money never sleeps. Yeah. You know, <laughs> he does all these things. He didn't hit those. Yeah, art, I guess those years later. He didn't hit those art house movies until, you know, what? Nymphomaniac twenty. 14 you know that's where he really jumps ship Mm. and starts doing this shia that we know i think you know he was on his way and i think i hear some of what you're saying is that he was destined to be on this lineup to be the next big thing and oh look spielberg pimped you out and blah 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 but he still works in this movie and he doesn't he doesn't Mm -hmm. try to steal a scene he doesn't ruin yeah exactly that's what i like about it well, I, I think that if there ever was to be a mutt that is inside of an Indiana Jones 5 to continue in any way, I think one of the braver choices they could be is bring back Shia LaBeouf and really escalate this character as he grew. I mean, in the movie, he's, what, 17, pretending to be 18 in the movie? Like, he's, I think, having an actor like Shia in, in such a top of his game kind of right now with honey boy and taking some of these things that actually work for him uh, it'd be a really interesting thing yeah and I, mean, I, like, I do agree with that it, it would be cool but again he'd be he'd be a supporting to harrison ford in, the, in that regard yeah because the movie's called indiana jones and the jones, insert yeah. adventure here you know until we mm-hmm. get the adventures of mutt groundling or whatever like <laughs> you know it doesn't it doesn't have to be about it. And I think that shot of at the end where it's perfectly summed up in a classic Spielberg way. We get the happy ending. We get to see them in the church. We get to see him reach down for the hat. He doesn't get the hat, but you know, he keeps walking out. He rides off in the sunset and throws that leather jacket over his back. And he still, Mm. he still walks out with his head held high uh, mm-hmm. and any other director would have that be a down moment and said that they get to give the guy a, a chance to really appreciate some happiness for his parents can i say my biggest complaint with this movie sure and it, it's not like super negative so at the wedding basically it's just a bunch of like professors literally everybody in that fucking church is like some white ass professor <laughs> it would be so cool if like okay on one side they had a bunch of like college professors on the other side all the friends that indy made along the way on his adventures like why oh, isn't sala nice. at his wedding oh why isn't like all these people that he's met like why isn't short round there like that'd be like a super sweet like franchise moment and like why yeah, isn't that round. why isn't that drunk guy that marion overdrank 
<laughs> and Nepal on her side of the like the church is like oh, I know this I is like a total non sequitur. She never gets to shine with her drinking throughout this movie. I was like, she has to drink a Russian under the table at some point watching this like the first time. I was like, she has to, but it just doesn't happen. I just think that would have that would have been like really funny, like nice warm ending but it's just like okay they got married like that's nice but why not make mm-hmm. it like all cartoony like they literally take a tree into an into a waterfall fall down four waterfalls and that's like cartoony and such but it's like mm-hmm. uh like i guess it's a whole thing where it's like you don't want to have to bring all the actors back and stuff but like you want the curtain call yeah but mm-hmm. i guess they intended on having another movie so i don't know yeah but still it's a wedding it's a big moment in indy's life you'd think all of his uh, adventure buddies would be there at least sala Yes, a solo would the be there. <laughs> At least the monkey who ate the date. Oh yeah, his corpse He's is just there. Cutter's uh, just frowning and nodding his head. Cutter's <laughs> frowning. All right, so should we just go back in time and like talk about like more like the middle and beginning of this movie because we've like just stabbed like at the ending of this so much and just what'd you guys think of uh, the motorcycle chase? That was probably my favorite favorite part in the whole movie. Yeah, I think the you know of the set pieces of the kind of the action. Uh, I did want to talk about that motorcycle scene a lot because I think it is one of the scenes they do such a tremendous job in doing it practically. They mm-hmm. really give Shia and Harrison Ford just this chance to interact. And, you know, they, that is the time that, you know, Indy really relies on Mutt. And it really shows us kind of like mm-hmm. this could be a fun duo. It definitely starts with that really like heavy handed brawl fight and that jukebox hit. Uh, it's like the world's biggest needle drop ever, like where they're just like <laughs> going to throw on some Elvis and like, here we go. But I felt like I was in like the Fallout universe for like a split second when that like record drop was like, OK, here we go. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a little jarring, I think, but it's also of its era so I do like it. Um, shot beautifully. The momentum is just tremendous. And it brings back to one of my favorite things of Last Crusade is when he, they kind of like fall into the library and slide their way under the desk. We get that absolutely wonderful moment where we get to hear Indiana Jones tell his students that, you know, the other 30% is the opposite of what he said in Last Crusade and that he has to yeah. travel off into the field to really learn if you something. Wanna, if you want to be a good archaeologist, you got to get out of the library. And if there was ever one of the things that was a callback or a reference to the thing, like that was, that's the one. Like I think it's just a, a little more subtle and kind of shows mm-hmm. how Indy has grown and aged and you get to... He he tells it to the student that we know nothing about, and it's funny. But he says it in front mm-hmm. of Mutt, who's just meeting him and trying to figure it out. And it's probably the most fun the movie ever has. That's for sure. And there's also like the Marcus Brody statue. I'm like, okay, oh. <laughs> I get it. He's not here. Yeah. He away. Oh man. I, I like that part. Like when the when the Russians like crash and his shadow buffs like yeah, and like Indiana Jones looks at him like they ruined my friend's statue. Please don't laugh at that. He is dead. <laughs> It's like if I ran, if like if I was being chased by Russians and they crashed in the car and a, a mural on like a big statue of Tyler and his head fell off, I wouldn't necessarily be like, "We did it." No, just my bun. <laughs> just, just your bun falls off. I, I agree. That's definitely like my favorite part of the movie. 
is mm. the whole motorcycle stunt chase or the, the university. What happens between then and by the time they find, they meet uh, Marion? No, they go to like South America, basically. Oh, and, right. Uh, they do that whole like excursion thing, like the excavation mm-hmm. and he gets bit it's by It's like the one time we get that like plane shot with like the dotted line and all that. Right. It's the absolute like least they travel in any Indiana Jones movie. They mm-hmm. like go to two places. It's kind of <laughs> odd. <laughs> Yeah, it's Arizona and South America. New Mexico, dude. That's in Roswell. Right. right sorry. <laughs> they take my a bad. flight from Los Angeles to Las Vegas. It's like, <laughs> oh, we're there already. I'm, um, I'm really ready for the Indiana Jones and the Diamonds Are Forever entry in the saga. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Sean Connery's still there. <laughs> yeah, I'm in. Hanging out on Fremont Street. So, yeah, all I really remember is that, like, when they ran into Marion and they're looking for Oxley, who's John Hurt, yeah. um, playing basically who I'm supposing is just doing his Don Quixote performance because he normally, he never got to do that for Terry Gilliam. Aww. Uh, but I don't know, he's just is playing like, oh, I'm a kooky British scientist man whose brain is all melted from aliens until the right yeah. point. But, I don't know, he just keeps collecting, like, colorful characters. They assemble like a motley crew for sure, like Indy's ex, his son, crazy John Hurt scientist. I couldn't figure out like most of the time if Marion was married to Oxley. She was not. He was like almost like like the uncle father figure that okay, I feel like yeah. I'm, I'm pretty familiar with, like surrogate father almost. Yeah, I think at that point they just, uh, I don't know, there's the whole scene where they reveal the alien body in the Russian campsite in yeah. the jungle. Yeah. And that was pretty cool just because it's like... <laughs> Cool, cool alien stuff. <laughs> cool alien, dude. <laughs> um, and Indy's, what, he's like tied up, right? Yeah, and they they want him to look at the crystal skull for a long time, and they make him stare at it, and that's how we can kind of understand Oxley, or Oxley has a connection with him oh, at that point. Right. Yeah. And then he somehow ends, they all end up in quicksand somehow on a back lot, and then... Yeah, Mutt makes like <laughs> a big escape. <laughs> then they throw him a snake, and I'm just like... <laughs> first time yeah. I saw this, I'm like, okay. It's funny, because... He's afraid of snakes, but this time I'm like, don't use a snake to pull a man out of the I, quicksand. I felt so bad for that snake. I'm like, that must have hurt it so bad. Like, I'm all down for it being cartoony, but I'm like, also, like, you're going to rip that snake in half. It made me worried. Mm-hmm. And and even like Shia Buff, like, it's just a snake. I'm like, hey, there's vines everywhere, Shia. <laughs> Cut her comments on snake rope. In the behind the scenes of this, I just watched, there is like a segment with the snake trainer and they like very yeah. specifically bring this like strong boa constrictor. So I think the snake's oh, okay. And <laughs> No, I'm sure it is. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's probably fine. It's just like yeah. thinking of it. It's like, oh man. It is a little odd. That's That's one of those like, Hey, look! It's Han Solo's dice. Like, how do we put the snake in his face? Like, that <laughs> is true. that is one that's a little. What is Shia's fear that he's like so like not scorpions? In... Maybe. Oh, like he gets stung by one at one point. He's like, "Oh, a scorpion stung me," and then he's like, "Oh, it's not a big deal." <laughs> the smaller or the bigger, the less dangerous. <laughs> yeah. That is a scene though where they do show off some of the like when they first go on that main like archaeologist kind of hunt. And they run yeah. into the natives of that land. Like, it is something they actually show a little bit of, uh, you know, they show some mysticism without putting any, like, fear against those people. So they kind of, mm-hmm. like, you know, they kind of redeem themselves from some of the uh, <laughs> Temple, of Temple of Doom isms yeah. of the way of handling things. But they also keep those people, like, 
so in the shadows and like they they live inside the temple walls and they've been waiting to like jump out yeah oh i I thought i thought you'd bring up the other grave tender people when they're robbing the grave like the first time at that one place i think in south america where they we have those other people just speaking like chitters and like do you guys remember that scene yeah i mean just me uh i remember it but I, this is certainly where the movie falls flat a little bit is some of the yeah this whole scene i'm like all right there's a big like crane shooting a light down on this set <laughs> and <I'm> like, <laughs> but sometimes i like that and i don't hate on it too much like i enjoy a scene like that sometimes like part of why i've mentioned how much i like the pirates of the caribbean movies especially like the later sequels like oh, the man. end of pirates 4 count me the out. end of pirates 4 <laughs> there's a big fight scene and all these different troops keep showing up at like the uh, fountain of youth it's like oh the spaniards are here they come to fight us and then like the british show up and then they all just have this big sword fight on something that's like obviously a set i'm like hell yeah i'm so down (laughs) sometimes it works really well to like know that it's a set but there's just quite a few sets in this movie that i'm like yeah there's uh there's backdrop there it's uh it's it's tough it is really tough and you know i hate bringing the production of it into it so big but like man these sets the production design the construction that goes into it are absolutely amazing and it just it is a little painful just to see that you know it kind of gets cut into this cookie cutter kind of like everything's glazed over kind of feel yeah it's uh you don't really feel the bones of the thing it really shows you how like every single department needs to work together to make something look organic it's not just one thing like yeah if you have no lighting <laughs> you can't see the excellent production design if you have too much lighting then it just looks fake no well, matter how realistic you make it look it's interesting because like heightened. you look at you look at the uh you know the first film raiders you know they go through those temples and it it, yeah. it is underlit and it is misty and dark but man yeah. i bet you every fan can tell you every inch of the way that indy steps from those scenes in the temple and it, it, it's just a f- hard line to walk on yeah it's a very thin wire <laughs> yeah <laughs> to balance yourself on especially incorporating like new technology i guess i don't know yeah mm-hmm. one of the scenes that i really like in this movie i do really like the introduction scene of everyone at the at the famed warehouse from the end credits of raiders i think it's mm-hmm. a really cool place to start i could do without maybe seeing the Ark of the Covenant through that little broken... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, it, it makes me think, like, every single time, like, there's probably such untold treasures there beyond a little alien body that they could, like, just pick any, like, n- number of those crates and have, like, a, a grab bag full of ancient power. <laughs> yeah, it's, um... I really like the kind of stumbling along with like the metal balls like magneting mm-hmm. themselves to everything i think it's fun that scene is cool but man mm-hmm. just like they could have shown any well-known like famed yeah just show know, something else project in history and to show the ark yeah. of the covenant is so like dude we already know we're in that box room like you already got that <laughs> excitement but they show I like do... a frozen austin powers yeah exactly <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like, show Walt Disney in the back and be like, look, someday, like, you're going to be bought by all this whole thing. Um, oh, no. Yeah. After the scene, it's kind of fun how they deliver Indy into it, and they really 
like they let throw him out of a trunk yeah they throw him out of a trunk like this is fucking mm-hmm. indian jones like he's been up to some shit for 20 years and you guys think uncut that... gems yeah exactly and he um it, it's kind of fun he gets this really great build up to like starting to use the whip again he gets to finally like run out of there like he, he kind of runs out of there like a coward in a way but he just has to get out and then he like steps into that whole rocket sled thing and it you know, it turns into mm-hmm. Mission Impossible 2 all of a sudden. It's just absolutely wild. Somewhere in this movie, I think there's promise of what we will get with Indy 5. I think I think the world in the wake of the Star Wars, the world in the wake of them announcing things like, ooh, Matrix 4 and the stakes of some mm-hmm. of these things, I think it'll really come around. And uh, I, just, I just don't want Indiana Jones to be sad in some way i don't know like there's a point where i'm like how how old is harrison ford now anyway uh that's a that's a number crunch but um, he has to be in his 70s 77 77 thank you that's that's pretty old i i I don't know like if he's punching people around still and doing big leaps i'm just gonna be like i don't know like one of my favorite comics ever is the dark knight returns but by dark knight strikes again i'm a little bit like he's can't really fly around anymore he can't fight anymore and he because he's like 80 or 70 something in his late 70s at least and i don't know man i i just can't really picture indy trading blows at age 76 like it, it'd just be kind of pathetic if he is like top of his game and still kicking ass at that age i'd be a little bit like that's a little sad i don't know well if they hit on the real world time it'd be 14 years later and it's gonna place him right at the end of the late 1960s in the in the hippie movement flower power thing and if there's what's he gonna do there's nothing to do if there's anything i want to see i want to see indy have to stomp around woodstock for some loose reason yeah i want him i want the movie to start with him just like being tripped out in like a hippie den of him just and like would, would, is that what it would be is it just like is it gonna be like a drug fueled like yeah he's a realist adventure like that might be kind of cool well hey man if they get all the way up to the late 60s and we're in vietnam and all that there is for mm. sure room for short round and return as like a 30 something uh-huh. and it's it could get pretty heavy here i i i i'm more excited having seen harrison ford and his you know his spot he took in force awakens and mm-hmm. this kind of interest he has in it yeah just re- him revisiting his characters as old men you can just start harrison ford as even older right back at the box room at roswell new mexico and see what crate he opens up like you just yeah you just play on that again i think what would be exciting is to see some of uh if you fear him not having the physical ability, maybe he'll pick up on some of the things from Henry Jones Sr. and he can start scaring birds away with <laughs> umbrellas. And and that's what I'm talking about. That's what I would more love to see. I'd, I'd like him to figure out fights more like creatively than just like trading punches. Because I'm, I'm like, I, I just, I don't know. Even even with Pulp stuff, I'm like, he can probably take a few punches and maybe be like, be like the big, tough old guy who can like take like one or two or three or four hits. But He's not going to trade blows with like, like the big muscle guys he's fought with in Raiders and um, Temple of Doom. Like he's just, he, I just don't really, If and if he did and, and like winning that fight, I'd be like, that's a little silly without being creative or being like interesting, like 
Sean Connery is in uh, Last Crusade with the birds. So I would like that. <laughs> like all of his fights usually end up being about like survival in a way. So yeah, he like, runs. Yeah, he'll just he, have to be even smarter. The amount of things that Indiana Jones runs away from, or like just kind of end. I mean, like the most famous thing everyone always remembers is him just like grabbing onto the gun and shooting at the guy instead of yeah. sword mm-hmm. fighting. And well, are you guys excited to see Indiana Jones five passed on to someone other than? spielberg and george lucas it'd be interesting i mean i, I might be down for that and, and with like maybe a different actor i guess as i don't want i don't want like indiana jones to be repeated at least i'd, I'd like some other adventure to take the helm yeah at this point ideally i, I really don't mind especially someone like james bangle because he's not like an up-and-coming director he's been around forever so mm-hmm. he still has like he has his own bona fide so he doesn't have i feel like he has enough um of his own credentials basically to not just have a studio make him do everything they want him to do and just make it just as nostalgic as it's like, Hey, remember Raiders of the Lost Ark? We're going to make this movie just like that, which I feel like Last Crusade is, but also Force Awakens is like that for Mm -hmm. the original Star Wars trilogy. And I'm just getting a little tired of how cyclical franchise movies are becoming about like nostalgia. It's like, okay, yeah, I guess maybe kick it off again like that where it's nostalgic, but maybe if, it becomes a big franchise give us some that are like temple of doom in a way where it's just like what is this but it's still a lot of fun in its own way it's just not really what we expect from that character yeah a, cre- a creative leap a, a interesting left turn every now and then it's always welcome yeah at the end of the day he's a fictional character who's an adventurer like it doesn't need to be so mm. grounded in reality so i only hope that it doesn't stay like that well mm. you know by the time we get to indy 5 the whole merger will officially be completed with Lucasfilm and Walt Disney, and you will not be able to see a match cut at the beginning of it from the Paramount logo. You're going to have to get a match cut of the Disney castle. So <laughs> it will be interesting, and you are being helmed by, uh, you know, James Mangold, who was the last director to ever do a studio feature for 20th Century Fox. So... There's some history that's kind of like lining up for everything to see what the House of Mouse yeah. actually delivers on as far as, you know, what is this merger? What is this conglomeration? Will we be interesting with a new era of a storied franchise or will we just kind of fall into our own ways? Yeah, I'm just so I'm so curious what the next adventure will be. That's like my main thing I'm excited about. I, I just want to see what what the big What's the pie in the sky we're chasing this time? What's the secret treasure? What is it going to be? I'm just excited to see that for sure. Yeah, I can firmly say this is my fourth favorite Indiana Jones movie, but that's not (laughs) to say I don't like it. Yeah, I could watch this every so many years. It's like fun. Mm -hmm. It's fun enough. Yeah. It's entertaining. It's fun. It's it's a lot better than a lot of like blockbuster entertainment. It's not Mm -hmm. what you want it to be because you have so many expectations because it's this character that you love and this franchise that you love. But at the end of the day, it's uh, it's not ever going to meet these like huge expectations that it's set for itself. So in the same sense, I think Spielberg made the right decision to have a different director take over that is younger, but also very qualified and has made a lot of movies um, to sure. hopefully give a new vision in terms of that whole universe. And it will be really interesting to see how they 
build that universe at this point because I know Disney will want to make a lot of movies in the Indiana Jones universe, but Harrison Ford's 77. But then again, Blade Runner 2049, like Harrison Ford's in it. He's not the main character, but you know, it's about him. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of movies about people finding an old, looking for an older Harrison Ford in the universe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it might, it might start yeah. that way as well. Who knows? Um, do you have any final thoughts on this movie, Connery? I think that my final thoughts on this movie is I liked it more than I thought it would going into it. It's still not my favorite of the Indiana Jones is by probably a country mile, but it makes me, it makes me feel a little sad, a little small, but I think that's just my association with the era in general of innocence fading away and uh, atomic bombs and things getting scarier. He's but, just getting older too. And he's getting older. And it, it, it's the, it's that like age will come for all of us and the world will get scarier as you get older and you're not going to be able to stop it, but <laughs> or at least stop it forever. But yeah, ultimately, I think it. I think it is. It is fun. It is very fun. Harrison Ford does a good job stepping back into the hat. Um, Shia, Shia Buff is fun in it as well. We'll save rankings for the bonus episode, but it's it's definitely solid. It's not as bad as everyone made it out to be for the longest time, and I was happy to watch it and experience it again. Nice, Cutter. Uh, closing opinions is that I think it's a fine entry in the film. I definitely think it's got some weak parts uh i miss sala more and more every moment we talk about him not being in it because i actually (laughs) think i think that's actually like a really great kind of person you're missing in this movie um but i sorry to interrupt but you replace him with john hurt who is barely even a character in this movie because he's yeah exactly like you you miss yeah you add like five people trying to like stick up for one man it's just it's funny but i really love the movie i think it works it's just fine i think it's a little misunderstood and for this era of 2000s early blockbusters it's a strange one and it has a strange place i think but i think it's worth the visit and it's far less offensive and less of a trudge than temple of doom Mm. <laughs> okay, I'm not. I'm not gonna be on the. No, on let's relitigate other, the whole thing. No, I'm, I'm just not kidding. gonna. No, I'm there's not gonna definitely... be on that other podcast. But if I had to yeah. say, it's the order goes for me. Uh, yeah, rank them. La- Last yeah, Crusade, please. Raiders of the Lost Ark, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, and Temple of Doom. Wow, how do you like mm. Last Crusade? I'm more surprised that you like Last Crusade more than Raiders, just because of the relationship, or it's just it's just. I mean. Head on back to my guest appearance on the franchise episode of <laughs> the uh, one I was on as well. So I guess I just totally forgot. <laughs> well, I just think I just think it it's it's better written and uh, it's just I just enjoy. Yeah, there's more character development and like there's poignancy. more. There is actual development and it yeah. is more through its themes the entire movie. I just really appreciate it and uh, enjoy it more. Do you guys want to play a game of predicting what? episode five is going to be about indiana jones five i i'd love that I, literally the game i was going to suggest was going to be indiana jones and the dot 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 let's do it <laughs> let's do it to it um cutter do you, do you want to go first absolutely indiana jones five <laughs> and the search, <gasps> the search for mutt the search for mutt mutt's been kidnapped he is the treasure just you know big bold ugly title just confuse the shit out of everyone Lay it down, it. bring Mutt in, 
you know, you can have them find mut two hours into this thing. I don't care, but it's about this thing that just keeps you on your heels. So uh, I think it's there. I think Shia is ready to, you know, really hold on to something meaty. I think it'd be really interesting with the older aging Indiana Jones. And uh, as far as the treasure goes, I think that's the other side of this question. I would personally love to see something involved in some kind of like prehistoric type thing. Like Ooh. I'm touching like real ancient and I'm not exactly sure where, what that is, but I think it would be kind of an interesting mix as we go further into the future, looking even <laughs> farther into our past. Indiana Jones yes. and the Cave of Forgotten Dreams and <laughs> Werner Herzog is the villain. <laughs> I'm okay. Sold. Like, what do you? Yeah, sold. I'm trying to film a fucking 3D documentary here. <laughs> oh, that's good. I'm going to lean into. I talked about Lovecraftian stuff, and I'm going to say it's because I mean Indiana Jones and the Slumbering City. And at first, we think we're finding Atlantis, but then it turns out to be the city where Cthulhu's sleeping, and it's a big, crazy, mind-melting adventure with Indiana Jones and the old ones. I love the idea of it. Dude, if they opened big onto Atlantis and then left turned real hard, I think mm. it would just destroy people. And you, uh, you know, if you get into like some of the hallucinogenic madness mm -hmm. of Cthulhu, it's a perfect tie in for Doctor Strange. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I really want a movie where I don't know. I want to incorporate short round into it somehow. Absolutely. I don't really want to make him a villain, but I don't know how else to incorporate him, basically. Oh. It can almost be like the dual sons role of them like kind of competing as to who is like it more so Indy's son, I guess. Yeah, in a way. And short rounds like I was here before you. <laughs> I'm mm -hmm. his true son. Yeah. But I also don't want to make like him the villain. But, but he doesn't have to be the villain. It, it'd be like a um, like a Red Hood, Dick Grayson situation where they're like rivals in a sense, trying to like compete for Indy's love and they're on like an adventure, the three of them together. So it's like me and my two sons. If there was any of the past ideas that they need to execute on, it's that, you know, they wanted to have an opening scene of a chase scene on the Great Wall of China with Indiana Jones and... You know, if they're going to take any of the things they've learned from Disney's production of Mulan and working with the Chinese government to, you know, take stories to parts of Asia we haven't seen in a big way, it would be extremely interesting. Yeah. On the downside, that's uh, Tomb of the Dragon Emperor. <laughs> Mummy 3. Well, so. <laughs> but I would love to have Short Round come back. And I don't think that actor really acts anymore. As far as I It'd know. probably be a different actor. But I do think Henry Golding, whether he's like short round or if it's just a completely new character, I think Henry Golding would be really good in an Indiana Jones movie. So I'd love mm. to see him in some character. I'd much rather see him as Indiana Jones than someone like Chris Pratt. I don't know. Absolutely. Hell yeah. I don't think I have too much more to say about this movie. I feel yeah, like I think we I'm, kind I'm of all buttoned up. talked about this movie like left, right ending to the beginning it was really hard to talk about this movie i thought it'd be easier than last crusade but it actually ended up being even harder to litigate because it's really <laughs> the most complicated movie in terms yeah. of how people perceive it what its role is really what its intention is as a movie how it's really like trying to just entertain but then there's a preconceived notion of it like making more movies but they just never did it so mm -hmm. i don't know it's like a really weird stepping stone and i feel like 
it'll make more sense in hindsight once the fifth one and maybe a sixth and seventh and eighth comes out. Um, it will be weird on its own little island of 2008, but maybe people will go, grow on to appreciate it more. I'm not going to say it's like a hidden gem, but it's still of worth. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's like a it's like a shiny rock. It's not quite an uncut gem. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but it's a little bit. It's a yeah, little, there's, there's it's some... pretty. It's it's cool to look at. Put it on your uh, mantle. Yeah. So, Cutter, thanks for joining us again. Thank you for having me. <laughs> you didn't play any guitar this time. Aww. The Adventures of Mutt theme is really complicated. It's quite difficult. And, yeah, but um, what about the new Radical song? <laughs> uh, that is for uh, secret episodes only. Yeah. Oh, this, the episodes we don't record. If yeah. you can, if you can legitimately find a franchise film you want me to talk about where that new Radical song is on the soundtrack, <laughs> I will come in hot on that one. Oh, you gave Tyler a dark crusade. Yeah, I would find it. I would say it'd be like in the Viewsk universe, but I don't even think it is. Thank you, Cutter, for being with us. Uh, I use I I don't know. Last time I left this to the bonus episode, but I think I'll just announce it now. Yeah. Our next franchise is going to be. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. This is how you do this. You just pick it out of a bag. What is that? It's definitely not the trash can just below me. Wait, it's gonna I'm be already the guitar if I can know the theme song. Okay, hopefully you do. God, let's go. Sam Raimi Spider-Man trilogy. Danny Elfman music's hard to play on guitar. <laughs> no, you got it. <laughs> you don't have to play the... You just have to play like a crappy version. Give me a minute. Okay, so Danny Elfman uh, bringing in the music. Uh, yeah, I don't know. He does play on the original Spider-Man theme quite a bit in that film. He yeah. plays all the musical singing parts of the Green Goblin. <laughs> <laughs> this is a this is a big one for both of you guys, isn't it? The Spider-Man trilogy. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. One of the movies is one of my favorite movies of all time. You'll have to wait and see which one that is. Spider-Man mm. Three: The Search for Venom. Yeah. And it's the definitely Spider-Man Three. <laughs> that was this series is gonna be so exciting and fun because I haven't seen the Sam Raimi Spider-Man trilogy in so long so i'm so excited to get to like watch them again with new eyes and it's semi-timely because he was just recently totally confirmed to be the director of doctor strange 2 so i'm so Hell stoked yeah. he hasn't made a movie in seven years and i can't wait but our bonus episode is going to be on the young indiana jones chronicles specifically just one episode on the mystery of the blues because that's the one harrison ford is in <laughs> and having not oh, seen any of that show, I think we'll just do that one because we'll just wrap up our little Harrison Ford thing here. It was yeah. between that and Howard the Duck because of George Lucas's connection to it, but I think uh, people might like this a little bit more. I will. Yeah, it's, it's more. It's more fitting. I will recommend that if you look up the the made for TV movies of uh, the Young Indiana Jones, there's one. Yeah. There's one that takes place in Hollywood. And mm -hmm. yeah, I looked into it. Yeah. And it's quite good. He like he shows up on a Western set and it's kind of like this Western that's directed by John Ford. And then yeah. Indiana Jones becomes a stuntman. And it's classic. <laughs> I was looking at the credits for all the episodes. and One of them said it was Nicholas Rogue, like directed an episode. I'm like, what? <laughs> that's so, <laughs> so tight. I had no idea. I'm so in. Thank you all for joining today. Um, thank you to Nick Paverka for our music and Grayson Hansen for our artwork. Uh, do you have anything to plug, Cutter? 
Uh, you can follow me online wherever you can find at Cutter White on many profiles such as Twitter, Leatherbox, Instagram, or any popular email service, Cutter White at email service, and you'll probably get a reply from me someday. Aw. Even me? Um, well, you, we gotta line up some proper Catan games before we ever speak again. Uh-huh. Yeah, Cutter's angry at you. <laughs> Connery, what about you? Well, if you enjoy tabletop RPGs and you like the sound of my voice, you might be interested in a little something called Starship Impala. It's a Starfinder podcast with me and four other fantastic friends, and they'll probably be on this up these this show at some point. But yeah, we play the Starfinder RPG, and it's really fun. Cutter and Tyler joined us on uh, one of my character's origin episodes, but that's not out yet, I think. But yeah, look out for them. They'll be there soon. Um, if you want to see me retweet comic creators on Twitter, I am at Connery Hansen or Connerth. Both are spelt with a K. Ray, uh, you can follow me at Tiami Vice on Twitter and Twained at, on Instagram and Letterboxd, T-W-A-Y-N-E-D. I think that's it. Thanks, everybody, for listening to our show. Bye-bye. Are they going to get a dog in the fifth one? I mean, obviously, something has to be named Mutt. Oh, man. If they just have a dog named Mutt and not the character, that's fucking (laughs) such a slap in the face to Shia. I realize now, after all that Disney talk, Shia's never going to work for Disney again, right? Like Did we stop recording? Such shit.